basically I wouldn't have been able to live on the side of the road with my two children going to school. That's what it sounds like. There's three of us. We had two benders, a wagon and a trolley. I'd already felt criminalised before when I was in my 20s and 30s when it's like you, to be homeless is illegal. To be poor, it's like it's illegal to be poor. Right, but you can't always help it, you know? You can't always help being homeless. My wagon burnt down. We had two wagons, and they both burnt down. We had nothing. We had clothes we stand, stood up in. But it was almost like we were criminals for being homeless. And I'd sorted out my homelessness by going horse-drawn. One of the things I really hate about it is it's down to the individual police at that time. And my experience of police has been very varied, but mostly has been really negative. And then it may go to court and it may be thrown out by the judge, but by then you've lost your home. Your children have had absolute trauma from the whole situation, as well as us, our own trauma from that. If the police actually do decide to enforce things the way that it seems that they want them to, then in the situation that we're in now, as, as like someone who actually moves and doesn't have a rented accommodation or a place that like is agreed or allowed, we have to go place to place. So each place is different, but at the moment, um, we have kind of more room to negotiate. Like, for example, we might be able to approach the landlord or land agent and say, okay, instead of going to court um, or you taking other like civil enforcement agency action, um, we'll agree to a date to leave and um, and we can leave on that date and avoid them the court costs and avoid that and avoid any sort of ugliness and you know just have a bit more room for negotiation whereas now theoretically they can just come and we say oh well we'll leave on this date and they say well why would we agree to that we'll just phone the police and you're out um, and there aren't places for us to go we have to find places like this whole talk about why don't you just go to a traveller's site, a council site, we don't have that option, they aren't there, like there isn't enough places for the people who are looking for those places, so there definitely isn't places for us anyway, even if that's what we wanted to do. So essentially what they're doing is they're just asking us to just disappear, and we can't do that. Obviously if they move us off one place, then we have to go to another place, and if we don't have a place to go, where are we going to be? We're going to be on the sides of roads just constantly being moved on and ultimately if that happens I suppose potentially the idea of of criminal enforcement is a, a greater issue like if it's literally if they move us and all we can do is go to a lay-by and then all we can do is go to another lay-by and then all we can do is clog up a road then they're much more likely to actually come and say okay we're going to seize your vehicles which is our homes with all our possessions in it they can say we're going to seize those things and we're going to fine you and we're going to imprison you and potentially we stand to lose everything literally everything for like i mean i'm not actually working at the moment but for those of us that are or if i was working then that would be a loss of possibly employment completely and also if you constantly have to be attending to your vehicle's roadside as a group and keeping yourself safe then you can't go to work obviously that's a big thing yeah we stand we stand to lose everything a lot of people are talking about this particularly as a traveler issue but it's not it also like will affect people who live in tents who are like homeless and things like that it's like they could be moved in the same way it's like and theoretically like wild campers and stuff do you know what i mean it's like it's it's not just our freedom that's being messed with here it's like it actually is everybody's but yeah no i don't feel great about it 
Um, I don't feel great about the fact that my insecure lifestyle is going to become very, very much more insecure with a much higher, higher cost. So I think the things that are going to like worry us as a community is like just the higher police powers to move people on um, without having to go through courts and stuff and it'll sort of just lay in the hands of the police to sort of decide what to do with us when we go and park up on be it on the side of the road or on a site like this they could just come along and kick us off sand in some cases seize our homes which yeah that's not great <laughs> so not being in, in one place for any amount of time to sort of carry out any work because I'm self-employed carpenter so sort of like you know once I start a job I've got to be around that area to try and finish it so I've just been sort of trying to do agency work so that I can just sort of pick it up and drop it as we're sort of moving around, which I did have to do the other day. I had to just quit my job the other day because I was worried that, you know, bailiffs might show up here and kick us off. So she's like, yeah, I've got to be here. If, if, you know, this law goes through, then yeah, it's going to be like that all the time. It's just like not going to be able to like do any work or anything. It's going to be like, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. It's already sort of like, we've been moved on probably like about four times in the last six months and it's had like, I, I always thought I'd sort of deal with it pretty well but it's, yeah, it's just like had a massive effect on like my mental health because I'm not being able to get any work or anything and just sort of like constantly being on guard and on edge just because we might just get kicked off of wherever we've parked up on, you know, because we're, we're a crew that move around quite a lot anyway. It'd be nice to have a sort of site and just sort of be able to have the peace of mind that you're going to be able to stay there for like a year or something or like even just like yeah like six months and just not be bothered and then be like right okay yeah had a nice time there time to move on again because then that way i think for myself and like well probably like other people we're living with as well like you just get that time to sort of just put some roots down and get some work in and stuff like that and work on your vehicle whatever stuff like that you know and it feels like it's criminalizing not criminalizing but um because if one person does something wrong what well, everyone gets punished for it so if one person in a house steals something, does that mean all house dwellers are thieves? Of course it doesn't. But this is how this law feels. I Choose the Road podcast. Hi, welcome to episode three. So in this episode, I'm speaking with Rhiannon from Bristol Vehicles for Change. Although this is the third episode, this was actually the first interview I did. As a result, some of the things I speak about with Rhiannon, I've also spoken about with Chris and Matty in episodes one and two. So there is a bit of repetition. After a bit of thought, I decided to leave it in because it makes the interview make more sense and it's important stuff and there's no harm in hearing it twice. As we get on to the second half of the interview, it's all a bit different. So I'm going to have a chat today with Rhiannon, who's part of an organisation called Vehicles for Change, to try and get a bit more information about this new bill and how it will affect us. Hi, Rhiannon. Hello. Hi. So first of all, tell us a bit about Vehicles for Change and, and what it is. Cool, yeah. So um, we're an organisation. We formed formally last year as a community interest company um which means we're not for profit and we act um, in the interest of the community um the vehicle dwelling community so 
UK and this is based in Bristol although we do have our eyes on things going on broader than that because we are largely mobile community anyway and national laws affect us in Bristol too um yeah we came together to respond to new enforcement laws that were being rolled out in Bristol so we made a petition back in September 2019 um, using um, research evidence and arguments against a new new enforcement policy which was targeting vehicle dwellers in the city um, and it was very yeah, very enforcement based no talk of like sites or facilities and it just seemed like a real movement in the wrong direction putting the community under surveillance so we came together because of that had some community meetings got together lots of different people living in vehicles some people identifying as new travelers some people identifying as um, like vehicle dwellers um, we thought vehicle dwellers is quite a good way of capturing everyone because a boater is a vehicle dweller a roma gypsy is a vehicle dweller it's kind of the thing that brings us all together and it's also the thing that enforcement policies always seem to group us together with is living in a vehicle so we thought it'd be kind of practical and beneficial to get everyone together because it was something that was going to affect all of us even though we do have cultural differences um and when we were seeing these new policies rolling out in Bristol we were also aware of what the Conservative Party were trying to do at a national level which is bring out the bill that we're here to talk talk about today. So um, what's your story then? How did you end up being a vehicle dweller and advocating for travellers rights? So when I was a teenager my best friends were new travellers. I spent most of my time downsite and it was a place where I really felt at home and I felt like I had a real sense of belonging there where was that um, then where was that yeah you say oh in Oxfordshire okay so there's quite a lot of um, travellers around Oxfordshire actually so yeah that's where I grew up and um and yeah we've, we've always had a lot of sites around the area and um yeah in the village I, I live in there was um there were a few sites and yeah became close friends with um some of the people on, on one of those sites they kind of moved around on different different areas but it was actually quite good around the village where I lived in like they actually got to stay for quite a while like about 10 years oh, in wow. the end like moving around different parts of the village but people here are quite tolerant so um in fact, one of my friends yeah one of my friends who um used to park up here has just yeah just come back actually because they said they felt like it was somewhere they always felt quite at home and comfortable um so, so that's quite interesting actually um but yeah it was like it was really nice like I kind of felt like it was a real nice safe space I could go and they kind of like my therapist a little bit like I didn't really get on with a lot of people at school um and like yeah after school I'd kind of go there and vent and they'd kind of be like my therapist a little bit mm-hmm. um and then like yeah and then quite often like I don't like my dad would like let them come do their laundry at mine and stuff and it was like quite a nice like connection we had like helping each other out which was really nice um and I was always really aware of the discrimination they experienced and I was always really defensive of my friends um I ended up going to university and doing sociology and then I ended up doing my dissertation quite randomly actually it was quite out of the blue a very last minute decision um like documenting the way that my friends back home on the site were being policed and controlled by the authorities here um so this made me like really really passionate about the topic like more so than before because I felt like 
could use like academic work to try and be active and raise awareness and help the community um just by like kind of adding that kind of that academic voice to the situation and trying yeah. to understand like why that was happening and how it was affecting people um so I then later got a scholarship to do a master's and a PhD going into this topic more um and I was living in a caravan in Bristol with a circus community doing my master's when I got really involved with the um with what was going on in Bristol and vehicles for change um and although I'm not I'm actually based in mid Wales now um but like I do I still do my work in Bristol um and Bristol's still like there's it's like a real it's quite an interesting place to be involved with this kind of thing because there are so many different communities come together there and and there's also a lot of support in the community a lot more tolerance uh, it seems mm. like quite a good place to be um, involved in this kind of thing especially so, at this time where there's you know there's so much sort of demonstration and activism happening around the bill and it's Bristol's quite a hub for it isn't it yeah yeah it really is and yeah it's always been a bit of a hub of resistance like with like with protests and also just people trying out alternative things like different organizations different like just ways of doing things there's a real there's a there's a lot of that in Bristol um I think that's why it attracts like quite a lot of like cultures of resistance and alternative cultures and it's just really diverse people are really used to different people in Bristol like it's just loads of different people in fact that's like the norm being different so I think it is quite an interesting place in that respect. So we're here to talk about the traveller element of the police crime courts and sentencing bill. So there's obviously been a lot of publicity about the bill as a whole, but a lot of what I've seen is focused on the protest element and how it's going to really curb our rights as humans, as British people to protest against things that will be curbing our rights further. But what I'd really like to talk about is just specifically the elements of it that will affect travellers. So, you know, we will have heard about the criminalisation of trespass, and that's quite a sort of watchword and a slogan that, but so I just want to really hone in on that. Um, so, and ask you, what what exactly does that mean, the criminalisation of trespass, and, and who will it affect? So it basically means that it's going to be a criminal offence for anyone who's 18 or over with a vehicle living or intending to live on land that they don't have permission to be on. Um, so that's like private land, common land and highways. Um, and it means that if um, if you are directed to leave the land and that can now be a direction made by someone who just owned the land, not necessarily the police. Um, it means that if you don't then leave the land and they believe that you are likely to cause disruption, damage or distress, then you're essentially breaking the law and you could be liable to being arrested. Your home could be seized for three months, up to three months. And you could also get a fine of up to two and a half grand and even potentially be put in prison for up to three months. There's some really heavy, heavy consequences. Really are really heavy, yeah. Um, and one of the things that concerns me the most about it is this kind of notion of if you're likely to cause disruption, damage, or distress. 
and that this can be judged by someone who just owns the land so not like a member of the police force who will be trained in diversity training or or like using evidence and and give, basically giving people a fair trial that it won't go through a court it won't people won't be getting a fair trial the way i've interpreted i'm not a legal professional but i do like read this a lot so this is my interpretation as a sociologist not as a lawyer but i have looked at this a lot and yeah basically exactly what you're saying it really like opens up the opportunity for discrimination and for that discrimination to effectively criminalize somebody who's then liable for some really quite heavy consequences um so yeah so i i think that's basically violation of human rights which is the right to a fair trial you're basically being being treated as automatically guilty rather than proven innocent yeah exactly which is which is horrendous and it's basically criminalizing a whole community and giving power to people who are not trained to actually weigh up evidence or to or to tackle discrimination like by by giving them the potential to be criminalized which they then have to defend in court but by the time something like that would have got to court they would have already had their their home taken from them. They already would have had a, a fine potentially, and so then people aren't going to sort of go want to go that far, are they? They're just going to have to keep running because if the if the risk is that you have your home taken, then no one's going to go to court and defend their innocence, are they? They're just going to just want to run. I think a lot of people will feel that way. Yeah. Um, yeah I feel like I mean I guess it'll always be different some people not might have places they park where they they know people are generally quite tolerant but it just would make it so insecure because all it would take is for say you've been you always park somewhere and it's like council land and it's always been fine no one's really ever noticed it could be that you have someone in the area who who doesn't like it who then goes and tells the authorities and then that could be moved on. And then if you return within a year, then you're then also liable to all of those things I mentioned. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite scary in that respect because it's gone from being up to three months that you couldn't come back to being a whole year. Mm -hmm. As I understand it, police have already got quite a lot of powers to deal with, control travellers and their movements in terms of using current trespass laws and that being a civil case. And what I've read is that the police actually, in that consultation that's just recently come back, they have responded to that saying, no, we don't need these new powers. The ones that we already had were adequate. Yeah, you're totally right. And to the, um, it was the Criminal Justice Public Order Act 1994, Mm -hmm. um, that you're right, that's when those powers were introduced um, which already stated that you could ask to leave if two or more of you were living in vehicles and had either had six or more vehicles between you or have caused damage to the land or been abusive or threatening so it's actually quite strict already um, and one of the and, major yeah, differences would... is now that they can do that if it's just one person yeah yeah and I guess it's, it, the, yeah. it's one of the other major differences the word intent now yes. appears exactly yeah so there's like less kind there's less it's less evidence-based now because how can you have evidence of what someone intends to do there's no evidence there which completely goes away from this evidence-based way of, of applying law 
Yeah. Um, so that's so it's really concerned with regards to that. And and yeah, the old law used to be that you couldn't come back after three months if you were directed to leave. And it was also carried out by the police. So that's like another key difference is that it's now 12 months that you can't. So go someone back who was orbiting a town who needed to stay in the area because of work or because of their children in school, that would make yeah. that sort of virtually impossible, really, if there were only a few places yeah. they could stop. Yeah, definitely. And it's particularly concerning when when you when you consider that there's like not nowhere near enough authorised stopping places for people anyway. It's like so where got... are people expected to go? And actually, um, what you were saying as well about the police, um, there was a study carried out by friends, families and travellers, and they found that 75% of police they spoke to thought the current powers were enough. Yeah. 84% did not support this criminalisation of, of trespass. Wow. And 65% said that it was actually site provision, the lack of site provision that was a problem, the fact that there actually isn't, there aren't enough places where people can go and that people can actually own themselves to use in that way so it's even the police are, are saying that that's the main problem and it isn't about their the legislation yeah absolutely it feels like this legislation and which, which um community law partnership a really good law firm points out as well actually a lot of police don't want this a lot of the public don't want this it feels like they're really pushing ahead with something that actually a lot of people that are real experts with this are really saying not that it's not it's not the right thing to do, but they're still going ahead with it anyway. This feels quite spiteful, doesn't it? Yeah. Like that nobody yeah, actually wants really. it, not the people, not the police, not the, you know, not the people who is enforcing it, not the people who it's happening to, just, just the really extreme right-wing people who just want to stamp out our way of life. And then using words. I mean, we've got words now like intent and likely, you know, as we were saying earlier, mm. it's just, it gives... It gives a possibility for so much vagueness and so much interpretation by people who have an axe to grind, people who are biased, people who are ignorant and uninformed. That for me is one of the most scary and, you know, nasty parts of the whole wording of the legislation. Absolutely. It, it does just seem like a real attack on a specific community, which again is like, a huge violation of the Equality Act of human rights legislation, all of these all of these laws that actually have a great deal of meaning and importance to how the law works and how we live together in the UK. And it's been completely just contested by this legislation, which completely violates all of those precious laws that people fought for for a long time through things like protesting, which is also coming under attack at the same time. So it's feels like a real attack on civil liberties so is it actually fightable through sort of the fact that it is an infringement of human rights is it possible for a, like a legal challenge to be mounted on that basis well it's going as it goes through at the moment the focus is to stop it going through and a lot of people that are campaigning against it in parliament and outside are I'm drawing this to the government's attention that it is a violation of human rights. When you actually read the bill, they have tried to insist that it's not a violation of human rights, but there's a lot of disagreement with that. So I'm hoping that that, that will that will shape the, any amendment or hopefully stopping it going through. Um, but at this stage, it's just trying to stop it from going through Parliament. And that those arguments are being used a lot at the moment. So... 
so I guess that we just have to see if it goes through or not and then later um, when the law is applied human rights legislation could be used in court cases what to defend it yeah so like for example we already have seen quite a lot of injunctions being taken out by local authorities around the UK which basically makes whole areas no-go areas for anyone living in a vehicle Um, and that can involve huge fines and prison sentences just like the new law does it could also affect individuals living in vehicles as well rather than more than one Um, so but those kind of laws have actually been contested in court quite a lot by by firms like community law partnership because of that conflict of human rights legislation so so, so, so laws that act in similar ways on a local level have already been contested using human rights legislation. So, and because they seem to work in quite similar ways, perhaps, yeah, perhaps they could be. But like I so said, I'm not, a, I'm not a legal professional. And I don't know how the human rights legislation will be yeah. used. But, but community law partnership have said that they believe it to be a violation of Article Eight which is the right to respect for a person's private and family life and home. Also Article 14, which is the right to not be discriminated against in the enjoyment of other rights. So I think also they've also mentioned, um, especially when you consider the lack of legal stop in places, because where are people supposed to, people are basically not allowed to live in their home. People are like being denied the right to live in, be at home essentially. So it seems to me, though, that, you know, even though we could maybe fight it after the fact with human rights laws, all we would then get was amendments and legal precedents, whereas actually, if any part of this bill goes through, it's just going to change everything for everyone. And we then have to, like we were saying earlier, we have to defend ourselves. It Really, we just need it not to happen at all. Do you think there's any hope yeah. of that? I think I think it will definitely get amended. One thing that I've heard people observe is they feel that because it's so extreme and controversial, there's no way it could go through as it is at the moment. Like, for example, the things like with intent to reside. But some have observed that perhaps it's been deliberately made that extreme just so hmm. that it gets amended to something they still want, which would be basically making it easier to evict people and stopping people from coming back quicker. Right. So, um, so they might take out the intent to reside part of it. Yeah, potentially, or just yeah, like some some of the more heavy stuff. Well, it's all pretty heavy to be honest. But they might just make it so that it gets amended, so it's not quite as bad, but it's still pretty bad. It kind of reminds me a bit of um, the plot lands. There used to be plot lands where people, a lot of people, squatted them and turned them into kind of self-built off-grid community housing projects and then other people would be using them as holiday homes and they really tried hard to stop people from using it as an alternative form of housing but Uh but people were allowed to continue living in them as holiday homes it kind of feels like quite a similar process where people like if you're if you're living in a vehicle on a on a camping holiday then that's fine but as soon as it becomes your main mode of living then that's that's not allowed not... I've never heard of plot lands can you explain what that is so I actually read about it um so an anarchist housing scholar called Colin Ward wrote about it and he was just yeah just highlighting basically when people try and build alternative housing outside of the convention 
housing system it's generally criminalized so they were like plot lands were like land that was on the outs on the outskirts of cities quite a lot of the time and people would quite a lot of people ended up squatting them because they didn't have anywhere to live essentially and turning them into permanent housing but but that wasn't really allowed it was then made really difficult for people to do that even though it was at, at one point there were points where people who were growing food and living quite successfully on these plot lands were actually then helping people on the grid with food, with, with like resources like food so they were basically yeah small bits of land that were self-built settlements that were made where was it from the late 1800s and up to the second world war okay so they were basically they were called plot lands because they were built outside the conventional planning system hmm. so they were, were tolerated for quite a long time um but then they got eventually they got replaced with new towns and suburbs um yeah. but yeah for a while a lot of people actually live very quite comfortably actually in these self-built settlements um which people had made in response to well not not having a not being able to settle in the conventional planning system all over the world people self-build especially when the state doesn't doesn't actually manage or the private sector doesn't actually manage to, to meet their needs and people like yeah quite often have met their own needs with self-built housing and I, I like to think of vehicle dwelling as a form of self-built or self-provided yeah, housing of course it is people, yeah because people provide them for themselves because otherwise they're not going to have anywhere to live or because they'd rather have more control over their space and not be controlled by someone else through this through the space they live in and in the so context like, of the um, environmental crisis it's a, also a really good solution because almost al- always any you know self-built and self-made communities are much lower impact so you know without the in massive costs of heating huge homes and and building sort of large developments. Because people quite often live in smaller homes too, which means they use less resources. Yeah. Also, another thing that I've I've written quite a bit for my thesis is about the using of recycled materials, like people like using tat to build things. Like that's quite common as well with self-built housing. People use what's there rather than spending loads of money on brand new. Some people do, obviously. It's really diverse. You can't like say no one does that. But there's a lot of recycling that goes on as well. And just yeah, I think being about half resourced. of my junk is built from stuff that's been patted. Yeah, me too. Like patchwork like, bit supply. <laughs> yeah, like we kind of see value in things that other people have discarded, and like which actually a lot of the time people don't even really know what to do with and just dump them outside their houses or fly tip them, and then we go and use them and build things out of them. Which is a really good sustainable way to move forward into the future. And the fact that things like that are being outlawed and criminalised just goes to show, you know, how much our government isn't actually focused towards making our society and our community, you know, resilient and sustainable to go forward into a quite scary future that faces us, but is actually just purely still continuing to serve their own interests. Yeah, it's really interesting when you think about the kind of wider political implications of all of this, especially when you think about, about just the housing system, generally how it works. There's a really good quote from Judith Oakley, who was who's um she's retired now, but she was a really great anthropologist. And she said that those who demonstrate alternatives in economic spheres must, it seems, be contained and controlled. 
so I kind of feel like this whole this new legislation just really represents like the kind of continuation of that process that she talks about of, of people who demonstrate there are alternative ways of doing economics through different housing different ways of living that are just constantly they do criminalize them and try and control them because we're not lining the pockets of the, the landed rich people of our country because yeah. we don't you know what we do doesn't make them richer in the way that it, you know we would if we were paying rent and if we were you know having to work nine to five to pay that rent and you know all the things that living in you know, buying into that mainstream society obliges us to do i think a lot of it's down to yeah control and keep and making people depend dependent on a system that makes them a lot of money they don't want people to be independent they want people to to be dependent on that system which they benefit from I've got one more question. I'm just wondering what, you, you know, what can people do if people feel like they really need to sort of take some action to try and stop this bill from going through? What, what is there that people could actually do to try and prevent it? I think it's something we're going to have to go, we're going to do it from all sorts of angles, really. So you can start with things like writing to local MPs. So if you're parked up in an area or maybe if you're, lucky and you're on a site in a certain area you can write to local MPs try and put pressure on them um, especially using you know arguments about human rights but also just like one thing that I think is quite powerful is when you actually just explain to them that it's going to cost them quite a lot of money doing this kind of thing um, so I'm, I'm happy to um, share some stats as well and evidence of actually how expensive it's already been for enforcement and like not just with like this obvious social costs of the trauma and the problems it causes for the people, but also like how much money it actually costs moving people around all the time. It's actually really expensive. And I think that is a language, unfortunately, that does generally speak to people. There's a really good book called At What Cost by Morris and Clements. I think it was published 2002. And that's a really good book, just outlining a lot of the costs that they found. They thought a lot of it was an underestimate as well. But they mm -hmm. just outlined like, just, out, just all the different economic and social costs that were brought about by this like, enforcement approach and not giving people access to land. News as well. So like a lot of like we were talking about earlier, a lot of this is going to be down to discrimination. So if we can try and eradicate discrimination by connecting with other communities that live in houses, um, maybe just using it as well our friends that live in houses to try and help us I don't think this is something mm. we can win on our own I think it's something we need to really unite with all the people we know however they live and get everyone on board um, and try and get support whether that's through like, writing letters or just like demonstrating that we actually can live together so like nice stories about about house dwelling communities and vehicle dwelling communities working together on things yeah I think that would be really powerful just showing you know that we can all coexist and we do coexist well and that actually diversity is a good thing and that we can all yeah live together and well, support each other I've actually seen since this bill has come to the fore really an upsurge and a lot of people doing similar things in different ways you know telling their stories about how they've come to be on the road or why they've chosen to stay living on the road people talking about growing up on the road and celebrating that you know their wonderful childhood that they've had in those communities so yeah I've seen quite a lot of that sort of already starting to happen and that's really nice to hear that that's something that people can do because I know that 
I always feel frustrated and I just think what can I do to like try and help this to be a better situation and just yeah just talking to people and celebrating who we are and what we do and why you know we shouldn't be marginalized and shouldn't be criminalized and shouldn't be stamped upon you know that's that's really great because everyone can do that can't they yeah definitely and I feel like it would be a really enjoyable thing to do while we're doing it as well so it's kind of focused on positives more rather than because a lot of it does feel quite scary like you're saying and it'd be good to focus on the positives and what actually yeah and how we can contest it that way through just yeah just changing people's opinions so that even if they do put this law through so that people don't want to enforce it so that people don't feel a need for it because there's a different always a difference as well between policy and practice like just because that law is there if people don't want to use it then it won't get used so I think like whatever happens we know that we've strengthened our position mm-hmm. so but yeah hopefully we can just stop it going through I think yeah just getting people that would to write be the their MPs, positive news and just like just to make sure people are aware of it and what it actually means um, so I think we should also make sure we've got lots of really clear media as well so that people actually understand what because like law is just like god the amount of like time you spend reading it over and over again it's like very complicated the way it's written like I've spent hours reading through it because I know you know it's, it is a lot to talk through and if you don't have legal language it's just really inaccessible absolutely and I think it's kind of deliberately made that way to be yeah. honest um so yeah I think yeah just doing like what you're doing really just getting the getting the voices out there and letting people understand what it actually means mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people would understand a lot of people who might be supportive of the legislation if they perhaps knew it broken down a bit better would be would be against it especially if they knew there were already quite strong powers in place anyway and that they're already costing huge amounts of money um so yeah like six in 2002 six million pounds was reported to have been spent um moving unauthorized encampments around and that was just what what was accounted for they reckon there's actually that it would have cost a lot more than that um so that's a lot of that's a lot of money to be making people's lives really difficult and for what for what really what what benefit is anyone getting from that the most obvious impact of this of the criminalization of trespass will be on travelers but ultimately everybody you know this land is our land and we live on it and we are from it and it's been taken from us no matter whether you live in a house or a caravan or a boat or whatever or just in a bender in the woods you know for house people to know that understand that the ownership of land is is actually a concept that we should be contesting and that for them their freedom to walk on the land that they are from is being curtailed more and more and more you know I read something that there's like only nine percent of the land of this country left that we're actually free to move about on and it's just been a process that has started with the enclosures act and it's just continued and continued and continued absolutely yeah people's ability to live off the land has been eroded like for a long time now and that is something you're right that affects everybody um and i think the more people are aware of that and i think also you can think about it as well in the context of the housing crisis state People are even struggling to access land that's not even controlled by them, um, whether it's because it's unaffordable, because there's just not not enough of it um, that's affordable or just accessible. So I think like when you think of it in that context as well, like more and more people are 
are, are looking for alternatives because they they aren't satisfied by or provided for by the conventional housing system so it's even moved beyond like access to land to own and farm and live off of it's like also just even just trying to live for just like the conventional system is is just becoming really really difficult and then um, if and this bill goes worse. through as it is now the ultimate result will be that it puts even more pressure on that housing system because if they go around taking people's homes away, then we will be at the mercy of the, you know, they will be systematically making, you know, a whole section of society homeless who will then have nowhere to fall back to but the council emergency housing provision and that a system which is already massively under pressure from people who don't even wish to live in vehicles and don't, wish to sort of have their autonomy in that way so it's sort of you know it's coming at everybody from every angle and the only winners are the you know the people who've got the land and got the money yeah definitely and it's like where are these people supposed to go because like like you're saying like are they are people going to then be forced to go into like things like temporary accommodation which is already really full um there isn't a lot of temporary accommodation available is it that people are going to start rough sleeping? But then what we see in more and more cities, we see spikes on the floor. We see obstructions for homeless people even being able to lie down. Like Where do they actually expect people to go? It feels like, how is that realistically going to work without basically, it just seems like people could end up dying as well. We're going to have more people sleeping on the streets in winter. Like, how is that? How are they going to deal with that? Like, what, what are they expecting people to do? When actually, you know, people in our communities, our vehicle dwelling, traveller communities are people who have just taken that and going, I'm going to have autonomy of living. I'm not going to rely on those systems. I'm going to sort myself out. You know, this should actually be relieving the pressure on those sort of systems. But they're wanting to make it impossible to do that. You know, we're taking positive steps, aren't we, to, you know, to, to sort our own shit out. Totally. But actually, um, one of the women I live with on site with in Wales, she was, um, we're going to work on making um, uh, like a kind of case study that we'd like to make a blog about, just like working out exactly how much money has been saved now that she's got a secure bit of land to live on after like years of like being moved around and evicted constantly and how much money if she'd gone into conventional housing would she have had had through through housing benefit or housing benefits like you actually that's like a lot of money if you think about a lot of people are actually by living in vehicles and providing for themselves actually saving a lot of money that is public money at that point of view too so it'd be really interesting when i'll let you know if um when we finish that and that'd be another good thing to share i think also and other people can do that as well think about how much money say that if they were the kind of person that may have ended up needing housing benefit which a lot of people will need at some point in their lives how much how much money have they saved by providing for themselves I think that would be a really interesting thing for people to reflect on and to work out it really is I mean I've never had to I've, I've been like living in vehicles for like over 20 years and I've never had to claim housing benefit and yeah all of that time I've never been in a position where I could have afforded rent but because I haven't ever had to pay rent or when I have it's been rent to a farmer on a bit of land which has been something that I can afford yeah so then I've never had to do that and I've brought up my children in a way that has been good for them 
um, but without having to rely on government money to house me and to pay my bills and all of those kinds of things. Interesting, isn't it? It feels like that a lot, we quite often see like in newspapers concerns about taxpayers' money with regards to travellers, but actually it's like the, the amount that's being saved, it would really, yeah, be really helpful, I think, to like contest that by showing actually by how, how much money we save. And I also like that information really public and accessible to all the people yeah. who, who see us as a drain to kind of go, hang on a minute, look at this, look at it in its positive light. I think that's a really, really interesting direction to take it. And I'd be really interested to hear how, you know, the results of that and to talk about that more. Okay, so thank you so much for, for chatting with me about this. And no doubt we will chat with you again in other episodes of I Choose the Road podcast. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for all the work that you do in advocating for travellers' rights, because it's really great to have people like you with energy and knowledge sort of, you know, doing the thing. Thank you, Amy, and you too as well. Well done for putting together this podcast. And I can't wait to hear the rest of what you put together. It's going to be great. So that was the last of those first three episodes focusing particularly on the criminalisation of trespass and part four of the policing bill. We're going to continue to revisit that subject. Obviously, it'll come up a lot. And if there are any updates, any news, I'll be straight on here letting you know what's going on with that. Thank you so much to Rosie Nubs for the beautiful harp music at the beginning of the show. And thanks as always to Jay Terrestrial and Firepit Collective for allowing us to use their song I Choose the Road as the theme music of the podcast. In the next episode, I'm talking with Tarina from NFATS, which stands for No Fixed Abode Travellers. And we're chatting about what they get up to as a group and what actions they're taking. Do visit our Facebook page, I Choose the Road podcast, to find some of the details of things I spoke about today with Rhiannon. And give us a like and a follow. Check out the Instagram and the Twitter page when I finally get it up together. Um, I'm told that social media is the way to get your podcast out there. So if you give us a little like and a follow or a review on iTunes, that's apparently a very good thing. So if you can be asked, give that a go too. And until next episode, ta-ra! Life in your pocket is a life behind bars But out here by my fire I can see all the stars So I choose the road, not for me A life for being born to be sold The green hills in the distance are calling me home Not for me, a life I've been born to be so under the open sky